Welcome to Rome Cuny Bible Church, where we desire to become a worshiping community of grace and truth by sharing the love of Christ locally and globally. Good morning, everyone. Uh, good to see you guys on this beautiful winter day. Um, we're in Luke chapter 1, kind of continuing looking through uh, the birth of Christ and different perspectives. Luke chapter 1 has 80 verses, and we got through look at a lot last week, uh, but we'll kind of look at some others this week as well. Uh, will you go before the Lord with me as we pray? God, we thank you for this morning. Again, thank you for allowing us to gather together. Pray for safety as uh, we go home, Lord, and pray that you would just speak to us now. Um, again, your word is holy. God, you spoke. We want to listen. Lord, we ask that the Holy Spirit would bring it to our minds and hearts, Lord. Uh, pray for those who are under the weather. We have those in our church that are just sick right now, whether it's with colds, some who are fighting cancer, some who are just hurt, Lord. Uh, God, I'm so thankful that you minister to each and every one of us, Lord, where we're at. I do believe and trust, God, as your word goes forth, you'll do ministry today. Thank you. Thank you, Lord, that you allow us to be a family together. Give us even just discernment, Lord, in our conversations afterwards. Uh, how can we talk with one another to point to you? God, I pray for those that are weary and just had a stressful week. What a great thing that we can come together and find rest in you, God. When we're down and weary, Lord, what a great thing to know that you lift us up. When it feels like the pressures from this world or the attacks of the enemy come really strongly, God, thank you that you never leave us nor forsake us. Thank you that your word reminds us that we're more than conquerors because of what Jesus has done. And so as we direct our attention to your word now, would you just speak to us? We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Twelve families uh, that we were able to help out and and uh, small groups we have a couple small groups running they adopted family too and so uh, we were able to and we even asked like what else can we do and the school's like no we're good for now and you know but we this is something we'll be able to use in the future too so but thank you all um i'm sure you guys would give this the right answer when i say what does christmas mean um but if you ever talk to someone maybe who doesn't go to church or uh, doesn't believe in jesus you know if you say well what is Christmas mean, and they may even correct you, say you mean the holidays, you know, they may start there, but they may say, well, it's this time of year where family gets together, or it's the lights or the Christmas tree, maybe snow, presents, whatever the case may be, but to the Christian, when you say, what does Christmas mean, what do you say? It means everything, because it points to who? Jesus. Jesus coming. God in flesh, God with us, he's coming. But why did he come? To save sinners, to die for us. I like how Timothy Keller kind of puts it this way. It's, it means illumination and spiritual light from God. It means reconciliation and peace from God by grace. It means God taking on human nature. Church, that's why it's important for us to share with others what Christmas is all about. Jesus Christ being born by the Virgin Mary to die on the cross to save sinners, which consists of you and me. He came with a purpose. 
God came down to us because we could not go to him. God came down to save us because we could not save ourselves. In Luke's gospel account, which we'll look at in a moment, we get a perspective from him about Mary and to show us how she responded to the news that she would give birth to the Savior. Uh, We looked at Matthew's account, but Matthew kind of, with his genealogy, points to Joseph's perspective. And so now we get to kind of see how God, in his sovereignty, had a plan for both. Both Mary and Joseph are told uh, that we see that they're told by an angel. In Matthew, though, we do not receive the angel's name, but here in Luke's account, we do. So we're going to be in verse 26, and we'll just start reading there together. By the way, like some of those sweaters that you guys are wearing, good job, you guys. <laughs> I didn't say that yet, but I'm like, oh, this is good. Right. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. (laughs) But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you found favor with God, and behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great, and will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his, of his kingdom there will be no end. Verse 34. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be, since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has come also conceived a son. And this is the sixth and this is the sixth month with her who is called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am a servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. The angel mentioned here, his name is Gabriel. And if you recall, this is the same angel that visited Zechariah in the temple and told him that he would have a son and they would name him John. Both Mary and we know Joseph and as well as Zechariah were told what they were going to name their children. Both accounts We see God giving the news, and both we see that God is having his plan being done. We're introduced to Mary as a virgin betrothed to Joseph. And remember, betrothal is a legal binding commitment, um, yet the marriage wasn't consummated yet. And so that's why in Matthew's account, when Joseph found out that she was pregnant, it said that he was going to divorce her privately or secretly. He didn't want to put her to shame. Uh, It was him saying, like, we are legally bound because of being betrothed, but yet I need to go through the process of what that would look like to end the betrothal. And so to call off a betrothal or engagement, they would have to be like filing divorce. He would legally have to do so. And yet that's when he was visited by the angel and was told what would take place and do that. In this account, it is before Mary's pregnant or before Joseph knows, and the angel is letting her know what's going to happen. Uh, there's some moments that I chuckle because how did the angel introduce himself to uh, Mary? He said, greetings, O favored one, Lord with you. 
And I love the response because she says that she was greatly troubled by this. <laughs> Granted, yes, if you were visited by an angel and then was greeted in such a way, she's like, huh? You know, what's going on? And it wasn't like this response where she's like, oh, thank you, I know. It wasn't that. It was what? She's, she was thinking, what in the world is going on here? Uh, she was troubled with thinking, what does this mean? The phrase to discern means something like this into Greek. It means to audit or to make an audit, um, which is an accounting term to bring everything to the surface, to make sure that you can kind of discern what is going on here. And it was Mary basically saying, I got to take this in. <laughs> I got to really process what is happening right now. She didn't want to just blindly say like, OK, let's go forward. She's like, what does this mean? Now, you have to understand that Mary's background wasn't she was unfamiliar with the promise of the Savior. That's what the Old Testament is pointing to. It's pointing to who? Jesus. From the very beginning, this is something that as a Jewish person who studied the scriptures would know that there's this promise of. And a lot of their understanding was more of like this establishment. Maybe it was more figuratively of God being with them instead of literally. And so she had this knowledge of, like, yes, it's pointing to the Messiah, the Savior. And so the news of that she would give, be the mother of to give birth to the Savior, she was having to connect the dots. Like, oh, this is a big deal, which we know it is. And so as she took everything into account, she weighed what was said. She discerned the greeting and intentionally rationalized it. She was troubled, which... Again, I think if any one of us were in her shoes, or I should say sandals, we would understand, yes, that would be troubling. On one hand, she was very logical with, how can this be since I'm a virgin? Uh, she understood, like, in order to have a child, something needs to happen that didn't happen yet. And for her, she's like, how does this make sense? But before we move on, I think it's something I want to highlight that if you recall Zechariah's encounter with the angel and the angel said, you and your wife, Elizabeth, are going to conceive a son. And he's like, how can we? Because we're advanced in age, meaning they're past childbearing age. And I don't know how old they were, but they were just older. And so what happened to Zechariah, though, when he kind of questioned the angel? He was unable to speak. And now how we have Mary who is saying, how can this be? Because I'm a virgin. But there wasn't any kind of disciplinary action with her. So what's the difference? Well, it's kind of like this. The Bible does, we don't get to pick up a whole lot you know, just in our translations, but their questionings are different. Maybe you could relate to this. Have you ever questioned because you wanted to know the answer? And have you ever questioned because you don't want to know the answer? It's almost like you want to be right. You're kind of like, no, I'm closed mind, but I'm bringing this question up because I'm proving a point. They're different. With Zechariah, remember, he was told by Gabriel that he and Elizabeth would have a son. And he said, how can this be? Because we are old. It was a question of doubt. Like, that's impossible. That's not going to happen. With Mary, though, was, I don't understand how this could happen. Can you tell me? And notice how the angel then gave the answer. They're different. Mary, on one hand, she wanted to know how something impossible, impossible could be possible. But it was her saying, teach me and I will relinquish my understanding, my control, saying, okay, that makes sense. 
There are some who ask genuine questions to understand more and more truth. Show me so I can believe. If you've ever had a, a child or a teenager ask you saying, okay, tell me about this, or well, the Bible says this, how come it says this? And sometimes we're like, man, they're asking questions. Just have faith. No, they're genuinely wanting to know. And so our job is to want to say, well, let me, let's look together. If you don't know the answer, don't worry. Guess what? There's a lot of tools out there as Christian um, parents and grandparents. We could look and find out and say, okay, that's a good question. I love when the kids ask good questions like that because it helps me to think like, how would I answer this? Or let's look together. You know, it's a genuine uh, question. So you understand that. But have you ever had someone ask a question, but it wasn't to understand more. It was more of a doubt, like scoffing, like, could this really happen? <laughs> you know, like that kind of mindset. The person who asks the question, well, doesn't really want to find out the truth. They want to ask the questions to stay within their own understanding. I remember I've talked to several people, whether it's a family member or a co-worker, and they would ask a question, and I'm like, oh, they want to know. And I start going down, and I'm like, oh, they really didn't want to know. You know, it's one of those things. Like, they really didn't want to know. There are two types of people, even in this room, that we need to be careful of. Some of us, and I hope you do ask good questions, but it's because you want to know more. Don't stop asking questions. And it's not to be combative, but it's because you want understanding. And I have the great thing is that Bible gives us understanding. We actually shouldn't be afraid of tough questions, especially as Christians, because the world is asking tough questions. And there's some that genuinely want to know. And there's going to be some that are just asking because they have doubt and they have a closed mind. But we should be willing to say, well, let's let's answer this tough question. Let's engage in this. Because there are a lot of tough questions out there. But we shouldn't back away and say, oh, or even give the simple answer like, well, just have faith. We should be willing to engage and say, let's talk about this. Let's see why. We look at what the Bible says. We look even throughout history and archaeology. We look at even culture and see how the Bible addresses things, which is truth. Mary received more information on how this will happen. The angel goes on to explain that as it says in verse 35, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you and therefore the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And then as the angel explains that, she, you know, part of me is like, what does that mean in one sense? Like, okay, but still, how come or how? And wanting to understand but that was the answer for Mary. That was enough. And what does she say? As the angel said, for nothing will be impossible with God. Verse 38, Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed. She had the genuine question, how can this be? The angel told her, and she said, All right, I'm your servant. Like, good enough. Like, let's go forward. Let's see what happens. Nothing is impossible with God. This was pointing to not just the action of what was going to take place. Mary, a virgin, would become pregnant. Or Zachariah and Elizabeth, old in the years, but we're going to have a child. It's pointing even to the greater thing, why Jesus came, salvation. 
Nothing is impossible with God. Salvation is only possible by Him. The work of Jesus Christ came into the world was by God to save sinners. The bigger picture. When you really think about salvation and how serious sin is, the Bible talks about sin as we were enemies of God. And a lot of times we're like, well, man, I, maybe I grew up and I wasn't like anti-God. But our action, the heart nature, is like we are traitors towards God. That's, that's the idea behind that. And our standard of, like as a country, like what happens to traitors? Like there's, there's, they get per- prosecuted and arrested or even death. Like there's consequences. And we are like treasonous acts against God. And yet here he is that he saves Sinners, you and I, those that have wronged him, yet God did nothing wrong. Think about the impossible, like how could that be? But yet God made that possible because Jesus Christ, God the Son, died for us. That's the bigger picture he's pointing to. And so Mary responds with being an obedient servant. Well, in verses 39 through 45, she meets with Elizabeth, and we'll go back there in a second. But after they meet, and John is in the womb of Elizabeth and the leaps, and she's like, Oh, I felt that. Her baby leaped, my baby leaped for joy. And, and, and she said this in verse 42 or 40, 41, we'll start there. When Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? So she understood. She's like, oh, the Savior, the baby, he's here. Behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, a baby in my womb leaped for joy, and blessed is the one who believed that there would be fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. And now we read Mary's response. This is her praise to the Lord. It says, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he, was looked, for he has looked on the humble state of his servant, For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. And for he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arms. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones, and he exalted those of humble estate. He was filled, he has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and his offspring forever. This is called the magnificent, or it's the Latin phrase from what is the first line, my soul magnifies the Lord. It's very interesting. If you look in the Old Testament, there's another praise from a woman who wasn't able to have children and became pregnant. Her name was Hannah, the mother of Samuel. In 1 Samuel chapter 1 and 2, you read the story, but she has this praise after she found out that she was pregnant. This is what she writes. My heart exalts in the Lord. My horn is exalted in the Lord. My mouth derides my enemies because I rejoice in your salvation. There is none holy like the Lord, for there is none beside you. There is no rock like our God. 
The Lord makes poor and makes rich. He brings low and he exalts. He raises up the poor from the dust and he lifts the needy from the ash heap to make them sit with princes and inherit a seat of honor. For the pillars of the earth are the Lord's and on them he has set the world. He will guard the feet of his faithful ones, but the wicked shall be cut off in darkness. For not by might shall a man prevail. Verse 10 of 1 Samuel chapter 2 says, The adversaries of the Lord shall be broken to pieces. Against them he will thunder in heaven. The Lord will judge the ends of the earth, and he will give strength to his king and exalt the horn of his anointed. It's really interesting if you were to compare her praise with Mary's praise. And there's some connections there that here it is in the Old Testament. This praise to God because she's going to be able to have a baby finally. Hannah, who prayed, cried before the temple, cried out to the Lord. He heard her prayer, and this is one of praise. But in it, did you catch who she's pointing to? The work that God's going to continue doing. And it wasn't just Samuel the prophet or pointing to David who would be king. It's pointing to the king of kings. And here, Mary in her song to God out of praise, very similar. It's like, look what God has done to me, and look what God is doing for the for Israel as a nation or as a whole. And so you see both kind of in place there. And we're going to look at that. What has God done personally? The joy from her song starts with, oh, magnify the Lord. What does the word magnify mean? It means to exalt or point to, kind of draw attention to. May my soul point to God. May exalt God. And when she's saying the soul isn't just like as a response, like superficially, no, like at the core, the deepest part, all of her whole being is what? To exalt God. Now, granted, if you heard that news, just like any parent, like, hey, I'm pregnant, you're excited, but she's like, but this is something special. This is the Savior. And so, of course, her response is going to be like, oh, yes, my whole being, but it's because of what did it mean that? Jesus Christ would come. Salvation. So she's saying, Oh, magnify the Lord for he, what he has done. In verse 49, notice Mary gets praise because of what God has done for her. And that's important for us to remember because, yes, we should praise God for what he's done because he's done great things. Psalm 126 verse 3 says, The Lord has done great things for us. We are glad. We should constantly have that out of the mindset and we could think in a general way, what has God done that's great? Well, creation, his provision, his protection, his salvation. And we can look at that in a, a big way. Yes, that should bring us praise. That should to us praise him. That should brought uh, our attention to him. But I, I want you to know it's okay to personalize it too. When you say, what has God done for me? And the biggest thing is, that's what she says, look what he's done for me. She's saying, look at the work that he's doing right now in this moment. I hope that you have reflected, like, what has God done for you? And yes, you could do that in a general way, like, here you are. Like, thank you, God, for another day. Thank you, God, for your provision and watching over me. Thank you, God, for working and directing in certain situations. But do you ever just say, God, thank you for saving me? And that's okay to say that. Because think about where you once were to who you are now. God, thank you for what you've done in my life. Thank you for the work that you're doing in my life now and currently. Thank you, God, that your word says that you're not done with me. That you're working within me and through me. 
We need to have that mindset and that reflection, what he's done personally in the work of salvation. I've said this before, and I'll use this as a, the line is like, preach the gospel to yourself. Remind yourself of what Jesus has done to you and for you. Personalize it, realize like, look what he has done. Yes, he's done great things for me. Meaning the work of salvation. There should be this awe that hits us, and I hope it still hits you to this day. So let me ask you this. When was the last time that you were in awe of the work of salvation in your life? That it just hit you. Granted, I'm not saying that we need to have this all the time and feel like we're at this cloud nine kind of mentality. No, but I'm just saying, have you just stopped and let it affect you? Man, Jesus, you saved me. When's the last time that it just affected you? Stopped what you were doing and just said, wow. That's what is this here. Like, are you in awe of what he's done? Think about what it means when you've been saved. If there isn't this awe when we talk about what Jesus did, then I would, again, preach the gospel to yourself. Remember how serious sin is and how good and great his grace is. And that should bring you into that line that you're like, okay, now I'm in awe. John Newton wrote this hymn to capture the idea of awe of what Jesus has done. And he writes, Let us love and sing and wonder. Let us praise the Savior's name. He has hushed the law's loud thunder. He has quenched Mount Sinai's flame. He has washed us with his blood. He has brought us nigh to God. I was talking to another person about different views in Whatcom County and, you know, which, where do they like to kind of look and drive? And you're like, this view is great or this over here is nice. And I've shared with you going east on Smith Road, kind of by Jordan's estate, you get to see on a clear day, uh, you get to see Mount Baker and just it's beautiful, you know. And I always say like, and I'll probably to my kids say, oh, he says this every time, like this never gets old, you know, like I could do this all the time. It's just good. You think about the gospel that way, like this never gets old. Or here we go again. I know a pastor's going to talk about Jesus during Christmas. Well, hopefully I, you could say he's going to talk about every Sunday. Uh, but, <laughs> but I just pray that you don't say like, oh, you know, okay. It needs to capture us in the mindset of like here we are. We're in awe of what God has done. So she's saying... Praise God because of what he's done for me. And that's a great thing is that we could do the same thing. Praise God for what he's done for me. But then she shares in verses 50 through 55 what he brings to the world. Verse 50, she says he brings mercy. We talk about God's grace and his mercy quite frequently as believers. Grace is getting what you don't deserve and mercy is not getting what you do deserve. God pours or lavishes his grace upon us, his salvation, forgiveness of sin. We don't deserve that. But then what do we do deserve? Hell, God's wrath. But instead he gives us mercy. Because Jesus has offered himself for us. When we really think about what God has done, we must take ourselves out of the equation to say, 
man, this is a work of God. We can't save ourselves. Only he can. And we should be surprised by the fact that God has saved us and that God gives us mercy. And we're reminded that God's mercies are new. Guess what? Every morning. <laughs> like, he's like, yeah, there's a new batch for you. Did I use it all up today, God? Don't worry. You got more tomorrow. I'll take care of What a great thing to remember. Then in verses 51 through 53, she talks about this. She praises God for this great reversal that takes place. The mighty will be weak. The humble will be exalted. The rich will be sent away empty. The hungry will be filled with good things. And what she's pointing to is this great reversal is what Jesus is going to be doing. Jesus Christ came to save mankind. We're, and we see who are close to the Lord. Talks about the humble. Humble. The humble. In James chapter 4, verse 6 says, But God give, he gives more grace, and therefore it says, God opposes the proud. But who does he give grace to? The humble. Go down to James chapter 4, verse 6. He continues saying, Humble yourselves before the Lord then, and he will lift you up in honor. The picture that Mary's praising God of this reversal is not that the humble will rule over the rich to subject them to the same humiliations. No, this was a picture of God leveling the playing field, basically saying, all of that it doesn't matter because what Jesus did, that's what matters. That all are called to humble themselves before him. And what does he do? He exalts all who are humble. There's a great reversal that is pointed to is what Jesus did in the work of salvation. There's a book in the Bible called Esther, which I hopefully you've read, but it really is one book of all, a lot of reversals that take place. You got Esther, who is unknown, who becomes who? Queen. Uh, you have a man named Haman who hates the Jews, especially a guy named Mordecai, uh, Esther's uncle. And he builds these gallows to want to kill Mordecai. Well, there's a reversal that takes place as there's this wanting to kill the Jews that actually Haman is killed on his own gallows. The Jews who are going to be annihilated gets to defeat their enemies. Mordecai is lifted up. And so you see a lot of these reversals. And actually the book of Esther, which is not just the saving of the Jews during that time in Persia and history, but ultimately pointing to the great reversal of what God is going to be doing through Jesus Christ. And here we see Mary praising God because of that great reversal. We who once were enemies of God have been called what? Children. Those who were lost have been called under his care and been found. From being unknown to known. Being not a people to his people. There's a work that's going on because of salvation. This work that is a great reversal. Death to life. That's what's changing. So she's pointing to what, God, what God's going to do through Christ. Through his life, death, and resurrection. Church, as we kind of look at this section, there's two ways that Mary's, Mary has responded. First, she responds obediently. In verse 38 again, after she was told the news, what did she say? Behold, I'm the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. She responds obediently. Second, she responds with praise, as we read in verses 46 through 55. In the same way, we are called to respond the same way to, to what Jesus, God has done. First, we need to respond obediently. We give ourselves to Jesus as obedient servants. 
This is the life of the Christian. We're not our own. We were bought with a price. And what are we called to do? To live obediently. This doesn't mean that the Christian life is going to be easy. In fact, the Christian life can be hard at times. Challenging at times. But we're promised that he'll see us through. Passage I like to remind myself and share with you is 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 16 through 18. The Apostle Paul writes, So we do not lose heart, though our outer self is wasting away. What he's basically saying, we're getting old. <laughs> like that's another way of saying, we're getting older. Every day you live is a day you're older. It says, Our inner self is being renewed day by day. That work of that's going on, sanctification in our life. Then he says, For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us what? Eternal weight of glory. Now, Paul, we can say that what he went through wasn't necessarily light as we may think light. He went through a lot. But yet he said it's a light, momentary affliction. As a Christian, you can live life obediently, knowing that, yes, you're going to have challenges, but it's just a moment in comparison to eternity. And he says it's light compared to what? The eternal weight of glory. He's telling you to being in the presence of God. Then he goes on to say, by all comparison, as we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. This is the perspective of a Christian. We can be obedient. Yes, there's going to be some challenges where we're like, man, how do I answer this? How do I go forward? Mary is like, well, how can this be? But as she was told, she's like, okay, I'm your servant. As we face the challenges of this life, and some of us are facing harder things than others, but it doesn't matter, we're all going to face challenges. This momentary light affliction is your perspective on the eternal weight of glory that's found in Christ that makes it possible. Why do we respond obediently? Well, Mary in her song, she said, For he, is my, he who is mighty has done great things for me. We respond obediently because of what Jesus did and what he did for me, what he did for you. We respond obediently because of what he's doing also in us and through us, that he who began a good work in you will, what, one day bring it to completion in the day of Jesus Christ. Like, he's doing a work in you. We're just called to go forward. But we also need to respond with praise. Praise is not just a byproduct due to a reaction of what God has done. Yes, that's part of it. It should be a response. Look what God has done. Let me respond in praise. Such as like maybe one day you, you got a gift from someone and it was not just because it was your birthday or Christmas, but it was just because kind of gift. Those impact you a little differently. You're like, man, someone thought of me. Just because, you know, I, and you may know someone that if you give a gift and it could be even on their birthday, it could be even Christmas, like they know they're going to give a gift, but they're always going to cry. You know, like you're like, man, this impacted you. This helped you. Like this is one of those things like the response. Well, here the word of praise that we're called and what Mary does is she's filled up with this is amazing. And again, if you have this of what Christ has done, it should fill us up with praise. That's the idea here. Mary had this some knowledge and understanding of the scriptures. 
And yet, as we know, she responded with, my soul magnifies the Lord. Psalm 63, verses 3 through 4 says, because your steadfast love is better than life, my lips will praise you. So I will bless you as long as I live. In your name, I will lift up my hands. Church, he has done great things. I hope he has done great things for you. And you can say, amen, amen. Would you respond obediently? And that's having your eyes towards him. Living your life faithfully following him, sharing the gospel. And would it be a one of praise? Will you pray with me? God, we thank you for who you are. We thank you for your word. Thank you, God, for the work you're doing in us and through us. As Mary praised you because of what that meant, that she would give birth to Jesus. May we just be thankful in hindsight. Jesus came to save sinners like us. God, you have done great things. You have done great things for me. May we respond obediently, saying, Here I am, Lord. May I be your servant. May we be one of praise. And maybe there's some here that they don't know you, but they would understand and know this. Jesus came to save them. The Bible says those who call on the name of the Lord will be saved. This is a responding to, acknowledging of who Jesus is and what he's done. The Jesus who knew no sin, who died the horrible death on the cross, which we deserve to die, He took on our sin, our guilt, the punishment for our sin, and rose from the grave three days later. He conquered sin and death. The hope is found in him, and they would turn to him now. God, be with us this week. I know it gets busy um, in homes, doing all the last minute stuff, but may we never lose sight of what Christmas is all about. Jesus came to save sinners, and may we share that with other people. Be with us now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening, and if you would like more information, please visit rcbcbellingham.com.